uh, thank you for uh, coming today. And so if this is your first week here to the Grove or to the series, uh, this is part three. And so if you missed uh, one or two, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast um, or catch up uh, through Facebook Live or some way online. We have a lot of different ways to, to do that. And so it's, uh, this is the third week in the, in the conversation about uncommon uh, relationships, right? And so I want to say a shout out to all those watching uh, Facebook Live or tune into podcast. Thanks for being with us this week. We're glad you're with us also. Uh, we have a lot of people every single uh, week uh, will tune in from different parts of the country and uh, throughout the city of people that are working. And so it's just a great tool to be able to, to say hi to those people. All right. So uh, this is part three. And um, I'm going to just uh, cover just a few little um, key points that we've kind of shared. And then I'm going to jump into this week's uh, topic. All right. Uh, so we said this about um, about relationships. We said that good relationships, they're possible, but they're not probable. What I mean by that is there's good relationships. They're possible to have great relationships in your life, but they're not probable if you're just expecting them to happen. Another way you can say it is great relationships don't just happen, all right? Great relationships just don't all of a sudden one day you wake up and like, wow, I'm in a great relationship. I, I really like the relationship people around me. It doesn't happen on accident. So they're possible, but only if you're intentional about doing some key things. And so for this series, we're giving you those, some of those key things that you need to have. And so week one, we talked about uncommon love what it looks like to have uncommon love. Because if you just fit in and go with the flow, you'll get the results that everybody else gets. But if you learn how to have uncommon love, like the Bible talks about, you'll begin to see healthy relationships. Then last week, Nikki talked about uncommon commitment. Um, the comparison between the world's way and God's way, that was worth the whole listen to the whole, the whole um, message from last week. Great, great uh, comparison there. And, um, and this is what she said about commitment. She talked about uncommon commitment. And she said, commitment means staying loyal to what you said you're going to do long after the mood you set in it Set it in, left you. So as soon as that, when you set something, you committed to something, because um, you're filling it, right? Well, staying committed, being really committed means that even when you don't feel like doing what you said you're going to do, you still do it because you're committed to what you said. And so she talked about that last week. So today, we're going to talk about the third part of this, and this is uncommon communication. Everybody say communication. Would you say that's important? In relationships, absolutely, right? It's, it's, um, it's key to have healthy relationships. So if you're going to have a healthy relationship, you have to become a, a, a really good communicator. And so we're going to talk about that. What is communication? What are some of the barriers? What are the things that, that keep us from being good communicators? And how can we become better at that? Um, really, I heard, I heard one, one lady, she, she said that all relationships, she's a teacher, all relationships, all relationship problems are really communication problems. At the core of whatever issue you have in a relationship, it can be um, attributed to some kind of breakdown in communication, whether that's um, um, communication in your expectations, a lack of communicating expectations, um, or just lack of communication in general. And so in our culture, we see this in, in culturally when we look around, at, at, uh, when, especially this next year as, as the politics begin to, to go up, right? Uh, the way that our culture tends to use words and communicate about others is um, damaging, and it is, is horrible a lot of times of how, how people belittle others and how they talk about others um, as if they're not a person but an object or something that, you know, that is horrible. Um, and in culture, um, we, we tend to – people feel free to use words to tear people down. To take um, and really, what happens is we take the person out of it. It's just it's 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 not a real life human being. It's it's an opposition. It's an idea that we're tearing down as somebody else. And and our culture tends to use words actually to bring a lot of damage and hurt. So if you're going to be common, you just go with the flow. You 
tweet what you want to tweet, text what you want to text, send out your, your whatever you want on social media you want to send out, and just go with the flow, and you, but you'll get the results that everybody else is getting. But if you want to have uncommon results, you have to become a person that says, I'm going to use my words actually to do some good, good things in this, in this world. Uh, so Romans 12, this is the verse we've been kind of holding to when it comes to uncommon. You can see how we get this idea from this verse. Um, this is the New Living Translation. It says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So Paul is saying if you just copy the customs and behaviors of the world, you'll, just get the, you'll get the same results everybody else is getting. But if you let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, you'll begin to have different results. And actually his challenges to the church in Rome, he's saying, the, the Christians in, in Rome, he's saying, let God transform the way you think so you're not just a common person just going with the flow, but you become an uncommon person that has uncommon results and becomes uh, better in, in the way you interact. Uh, so, don't, so don't copy the world, especially in relationships. If you just copy them, you'll get the same, same results, but let God transform you. And, and what, what's great about this is Paul's actually giving us an encouragement of saying it's God who changes us, right? He changes and gives us the ability to be able to change. So my, my role is to put it out there to say, hey, there's some better ways to think. And then as God comes in alongside and says, let me now help uh, show you how to apply those things in your life. So as you read the Bible, as you go to church, as you um, try, to, try to learn more about what God has for you, um, you then begin to apply those. And God helps us to do that. See, religion, religion says rules, right? Do this, don't do this, do this, do, don't do this. You know, if you don't do this, you're not good. And religion just tends to give us a lot of uh, rules. Um, work, work, work. But God is op- the, uh, a, a relationship with God is different. A relationship with God is saying, God, you tell me what to do. You tell me how to live this way. Lead me on this journey. Help me to know what you're asking me. And so God is saying, let me teach you the principles. Then I'll empower you with new thinking so you can actually be able to live them out. That's what it means to let God transform you. What you think is you learn the principle. Then you say, God, how does this play out in my day-to-day life? How do I use this in my relationships? How do I use this with my, with my spouse, with my kids, with my coworkers, with my teachers? Whoever it is that you're communicating with, how do I, how do I use this? And so we need to first be transformed by the way we think is what Paul is saying. And then he says, then you'll learn. If you begin to let God do that, you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is um, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. So God has good, pleasing, and perfect plans for your life. As Paul's saying, if you'll walk in these and, be, and choose to be uncommon in the way you approach relationships, you'll have good relationships, you'll have pleasing relationships, and in some cases, you'll almost feel like it's, it's perfect in the sense that you are um, living beyond what you ever thought was possible in relationships, in a healthy relationship. And so um, we, we find that there are, uh, through studies, that there's four levels of communication, all right? Uh, there's four levels. The first level of communication is the surface communication. That would just be general, hi, how are you doing, right? You, you wave. In some cases, it doesn't even take that much to have surface com- uh, uh, communication. It could even just be a nod, like, how are you doing, all right? That's, that's very surface. It's just very general, very, very, just very surface and not a whole lot depth to it. Right. So that's the first level of communication that happens when you go to the store. Sometimes when you walk through the halls uh, in church, right, when you encounter people you haven't seen for a long time, very surface. Then there's the second level of communication, which is general information. General information is when we begin now to share something about ourselves. Right. Um, In in um, in in marriage, I found out pretty quickly that uh, when my wife wants to share things to me, she doesn't always want me to solve the thing that she's sharing. She wants me to listen. Right. When I first got married, I thought she wanted me to solve all her problems. So she'd come and say, hey, you know, at work, this and this happened. And I'm like, well, just do this and this. She's like, I don't want your advice. I just want to tell you what's going on in my world. 
right? And so I learned, like, okay, she's just wanting to talk, right? She's wanting to share communication. So, so guys, let me help you out here because um, um, you probably need some tools like I do, right? Uh, so let me teach you the four most romantic words you could ever say to your wife, all right? Here's the, here's, here's the four words. And then what happened? Guys, would you try it with me? Would you try it with me? And then what happened, right? How romantic is that, ladies? Is that awesome? All right, I, I'm joking, but yes, <laughs> it's a joke, but it's real. So women want to they, they want to communicate general information, and sometimes guys don't always get that right. And that, that's a general statement. Some guys are really good at communication, and you know some women aren't. I'm not saying all women are great communicators. I'm just saying, generally speaking, women t- tend to be feelers, and they 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 want to process those feelings through words. Guys tend to be like fixers, right? And we try to fix things with what we hear and go about it and do things with it. So sometimes we have to put down that that role and just say, hey, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to reflect. So if four words is too much for you, maybe, if, and then what happened is too much. Here's three words, all right? Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. And then when you pick your wife off the floor after she passes out because she's never heard that before, right? You could continue the conversation of keep going, all right? Some more uh, tools, you know. Uh, all joking aside, these are some great, actually, tools to, to use in communication when you're wanting to build that general information, all right? And then what happened? Tell me more. Another one is thank you for sharing with that with me. Uh, you're reflecting back to them something they said, so you're actually, like, acknowledging they said something, so now you're saying thanks for sharing with me. Um, you can include, like, that sounds really painful, really hard, uh, really exhausting. That's, not, that's really sad. Um, you're, you're, you're saying, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm reflecting back to you. I'm letting you know. And so be, be good communicators. Uh, general information is important, but there's other levels of it. All right. Um, in our, um, in our small group, we were talking about in our freedom small group on Wednesdays, uh, we were talking a little about communication and we were, we were talking about the, the guys and, and the women, how our approach to communication is. And one lady said, yeah, I, I was just like telling him about my day. And he's like, I don't want to hear about your, all the things that went wrong in your day. Right. And it was a really good conversation that we we're talking about. But essentially, she said the, the lady was saying, I just want to confide in him. Right. I want to let out these things. And he's thinking like, man, you're giving me more things to do. And we talked through that because we, we approach words differently. We approach communication differently a lot of times. And if we have understanding what the other person is actually wanting, that helps free us up from feeling like we have to carry the, their burden. Because sometimes it has nothing to do with carrying their burden, but just letting them confide, letting them to speak those things out and to be able to, to let it. And I think what happens with guys a lot of times when we're communicating, we tend to shut down because we think that we're supposed to do something with everything we hear. And that creates a burden and a barrier for us to always want to fix things. And, um, and when, when people give you all their issues and you can't fix it, it just kind of makes you feel very overwhelmed. And I think sometimes that's what happens with a lot of guys is um, we want to fix everything, and, and sometimes we can't. And so knowing the expectation of communication is really important. So learning sometimes just general information it not, not has nothing to do with what you're supposed to do with it necessarily, but just how you can help that person process it. And here's what I know. If you do this well and ask these questions well, you can move to the next level of communication, which is deep feelings. All right, deep feelings. Um, here's what I know about feelings, right? Feelings, they aren't always right, but feelings are always true for that person. Like they feel it. And sometimes when you're feeling things, you even know this is not the correct feeling. I, I, this shouldn't be direct in my life, but it's still real to you, right? You're feeling that emotion. You're feeling whatever's going on. So even though it might not be right, it still is true to that person. And deep feelings are important for us to, to recognize and to be able to communicate um, because a lot of people don't have a safe place to express this. And today's whole message, if, if I'm going to just kind of give you like the whole where I'm trying to go with this today, is if you want to be an uncommon communicator, you have to create a safe environment where you can actually have these kind of conversations when it comes to deep feelings. All right. I heard, um, um, well, d- deep feelings. 
Um, and many people don't have a way to express it. So they have to hold them in, and then they, they sometimes feelings can make us sick because we're not expressing them. And sometimes when we express the feelings, we actually realize, like, that is not really true. I was feeling that, but that's not necessarily the truth of this relationship. So um, when we express it and talk about it, we can actually move past it. We don't express it. We hold on to it. And a lot of times that feeling actually becomes the truth to us, and it actually affects our relationships in a, in a negative way. So that's the deep feelings of the third communication um, level of communication. The fourth one is deep needs, all right? And deep needs uh, is, is really important. Um, the best relationships have an understanding of what is happening in the person they're talking with. So this is not just couples. This could just be in, in, in um, with coworkers. It could be with with uh, with your boss. Things that are going on, like what are they actually needing from you, right? So I, I heard this one counselor. He said for 18 years, uh, he counseled people in marriage, uh, specifically in marriage, but a lot of times just other individuals. But he said um, for 18 years, what he'd have them do is the guy and the the, the, the husband and the wife would come in, and he'd give a piece of paper and say, write write your 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 wife's five deepest needs that you can do something about today. And then you give the wife the same paper and say, you write the five deepest needs your husband has and something you could do about it today. And he says, in 18 years of counseling couples, not once did both couples, both individuals have the, uh, the needs of their spouse correct, right? So then they would talk through it and say, what are your deepest needs? And the, the, the wife would say, here's my deepest needs. And a lot of times they had nothing on the piece of paper the guy wrote down. And the same was true for the lady. Everything she wrote down wasn't always true for the deepest needs of the guy. But because they never talked to those things and never expressed those things, they never knew that they weren't even meeting each other's deepest needs, right? They weren't. And sometimes those deep needs, they can be very simple um, things that you can fix, right? Um, in conversations with my wife, sometimes I'll be like, what do you just need me to do? And sometimes it's as simple as, can you just do this one thing? And if you take care of that, that's going like, to free up my mind from not having to worry about it, right? Very simple, but it's something that she has. Sometimes they're very deep needs where uh, they're needing more, but sometimes it's very simple. And, it, and sometimes you have to learn how to communicate through those Here's the thing about these four levels of communication, all right? The research shows that uh, 50% of people, in some cases more, but at least 50% of relationships never get past the first two, surface and general. So half of all relationships, if you want to be calm and want to be normal, you'll just stick at the first two, surface and very general information. But if you want to be a uncommon, um, have uncommon relationships and become uncommon in communication, you have to learn to be able to go into these, these other two levels of communication where it comes to feelings and needs. And, um, and when I say feelings and needs, I think sometimes guys think like, well, I'm just not, a, I'm not like that. I don't express my feelings. Well, but, but to be able to talk through things, how you think about things, um, what you're, what you're um, experiencing, those will help the other person know what they are doing, what they're not doing. And so it's, a, it's important for us to be able to say, how can I communicate this in a better way? A lot of times it's through questions. A lot of times it's through asking questions and to be able to ask others to help you with it. As for my I hope is today as we talk that we'll begin to say, in my relationships, I don't want to just stay surface and just general. But how can I really begin to help others uh, process what they're feeling and be able to even help them maybe solve some of the, 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 the deeper things in their life that they need? How can I do that? And as a church, that's our heart. We want to be able to help people to, um, to figure these things out, figure life out. And it takes us to go as deep as we can with that. That's why groups are so important. Because little by little, you build relationships, you're able to express and be able to talk about some of these things and um, be able to grow in them, all right? Um, and, and we'll talk about some barriers. So there's some barriers that, that come between us that keep us at those first two, and we never get to the second two. So we'll talk about those. But first, I want to tell you about this. Uh, it was a pretty interesting study that, that uh, Google did. So Google, um, they spent over two years studying more than 180 teams, all right? They wanted to study 180 teams in, in their organization to figure out what, what separated the best teams from just the average team, 
right? So what, what are the best performing teams doing that the common teams are not? So common, just, you know, get the results that not necessarily bad or good, just they're just average results. And then the teams that were really getting um, extra results from their, their work together. And so they began to study for over two years, these more than 180 teams, to figure out what it was. They thought, like, there's a formula, right? You get a really smart person. You get a really creative person. You get a really good leader. You get this, this, this mixture of the, the right people in this group, and it's going to be an amazing team. Well, what they found, they found out, and, and if you're working in your, in your workplace, if you own a business, this is a great – I would go study this because it will help you even get better as a company or as an organization – um, there was five key dynamics that set the successful teams apart. And this is what they found. Who is on the team matters less than how the team members interact, structure their work, and view their contributions. So it wasn't so much the who, but the how that was taking place in that. And essentially, they found that there was five key dynamics, right, that, that was taking place. Four of them, they kind of knew that would be the, that was going to be it, right? Dependability, uh, structure and clarity, meaning, and impact. Like they knew those, those four things were pretty important in teams. The one that really surprised everybody um, that they didn't understand was so important was, was the fifth one, and they call it psychological safety. So in top-performing teams, psychological safety means that there's a place where we can let down our guard. It's a, it's a safe place to ask questions. It's a safe place to give input. There's no fear, right, that the team is going to criticize or you're going to lose your job for your ideas or you're going you're to hold back. And in, this, in the top-performing teams, they had really healthy dialogue and discussion around ideas that a lot of other teams didn't because there was safety in it. So essentially, they found that the reason the top-performing teams are, are so good is because they were able to communicate in a way that there was safety for everybody to share what they needed to share. So if there's a bad idea, they can stop the bad idea before everybody goes with it. When there's not psychological safety and somebody comes with a bad idea but everybody's afraid to talk because it was the boss's idea, it's like – I'm not going to say anything, right? And, the, and the, the, the ship's going down. But nobody's going to say anything because, well, I'm not going to talk against the boss. But in, the, in a psychological safety uh, relationship, you're free to say, I don't think that's such a good idea, and here's why. And you wouldn't be reprimanded for it. And so that was what they found is that, um, we, that those people can take risks on their team without feeling insecure or embarrassed. And that's really the question they asked is, can we take risks on this team without feeling, being insecure or being embarrassed by what we what we say or what we do. Here's why I bring this up. Because in relationships, if you want to have uncommon relationships, if you want to have uncommon communication, you have to get to a place where in the people that you communicate with the most, you have to have this, this, this environment that there's safety to be able to say things to each other that's going to help you both get better, right? So that means there has to be a little less insecurities. There has to be a little less fear of opening up. And that takes time. That doesn't happen over, overnight. I bet those great teams, it took a while for them to figure that out. It just didn't happen all of a sudden because somebody said, there's trust, there's, there's interaction, there's conversations that are being had, right, that, that are they're helping people to build, be, begin to build that trust. Well, if we're going to become great communicators, we have to know that there's, there's some barriers that keep us from, from being, creating that environment of, of psychological safety and, and health in our relationships, all right? And I think the thing I love about the Bible is the Bible is always pointing to these, the results of doing what the Bible is asking us to do in relationships actually gives psychological safety. When we follow the commands of how to love one another, how to, how to communicate, how to care for those around us, we actually, the byproduct would be, I don't think the Bible calls it that because there's not a term like that in the Bible, but it would be psychological safety. You have an environment relationships where there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of ability to share um, really what's, what, what the other person thinks and sees, right? But there's four barriers. Let's talk about these four barriers. 
There was 20 years of research that went into discovering um, these four barriers uh, to communication. And in fact, they said that these barriers was the number one cause of divorce in marriages. All right. And so Markman and Stanley, who, who did the research, they found um, that these, these four barriers, the first one is withdrawal. Withdrawal is the silent treatment, right? It's stonewalling. It's, uh, I don't like what you said, so I'm just going to ignore you. I'm not going to talk to you. It's, uh, you get into the, the silent treatment where um, I'm not going to talk, you know, and I'm not going to even look at you. I'm going to just give you the cold shoulder, and, and that, that would be withdrawal. You just separate, and you don't want to talk about anything. And the silent treatment is I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to touch you because the first person to touch loses, right? That's kind of the idea of this. Um, in fact, I heard a story about a man who um, him and his wife got into the silent treatment. They got in an argue, argument, and they, got, they weren't talking for the day that evening. And so uh, he was so mad, but he said, man, I have to wake up at 5 in the morning to catch a plane tomorrow. And I'm not going to – I can't talk to my wife. I can't, I can't give in. I can't lose this game, right? So he gets a, a little sticky note, and he, he uh, writes on, the, on it, please wake me, up, wake me up at 5 a.m. I have to catch a flight. And so he puts it right by where she brushes her teeth so she'd make, he'd make sure she would see it before she went to bed. So he writes it down. He goes to bed. Well, she comes in, and she brushes her teeth. Well, the next morning he wakes up at 9 a.m. He's like, oh, it's 9 a.m. I missed my flight. He's so mad. And he, so he looks over, sees the time, and he notices there's a sticky note next to the time, and it says, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. So, guys, I don't know if it's a good idea to get in the silent treatment. And you just won't win those games, right? So wake up, silly. It's 5 a.m. Yeah, it's a sticky note. When you get into communication like that, that's an issue, right? And so uh, this would be the first barrier, withdrawal, that we just we, we, we withdraw, we give the silent treatment, we don't want to talk at all. That's an unhealthy way to communicate. Second one is escalation. This is when tempers begin to rise. The temperature begins to rise in the conversation, right? And it begins to escalate. Um, and here's the thing about escalation is even in a conversation, when it begins escalating, even if you're right, you still lose the conversation, right? Because here's the truth. If, if the heart doesn't receive what you're saying, you still lose. And a heart usually won't receive when somebody's yelling at them. Like that just does, the heart doesn't like, okay, this is a safe, area, uh, safe environment to receive what's being said. Typically, it's like, no, I'm in, I'm in defense mode. I'm going to fight back with my words or whatever. And they found that, um, especially the guys, that once your heartbeat goes over a certain um, uh, beats per measure, beats per minute, um, you no longer have uh, rational thinking, right? So your emotions take over, not your, not your rational thinking. And so if you're ever in a relationship where the conversation begins to escalate, man, take a break because that's, nothing is gonna be, good is going to be accomplished through yelling or through getting uh, your emotions out there, right? Um, you still, you'll, you'll still you'll lose even if you win the conversation, and so you have to learn that. The, that's, that's withdrawal. That's escalate, escalation. The third one is belittling. Uh, the fourth barrier to um, communication is belittling. So belittling is where you uh, you don't you don't want the, you don't want to go to the higher level and be able to say nicer things. So you go to a lower level where you begin to make them feel less than, right? That's really what belittling is about. It's saying I'm not going to take the higher ground. I'm going to take the lower ground and be able to say things that's going to hurt. I'm going to say comments that's going to jabs that are going to that cause them to feel um, um, below me, right? They're less than. I'm going to I'm going to say things to them. It's like a couple who was uh, – they're having this kind of conversation when they're driving down the road, and they're just belittling each other, just fighting on the, on, or they're traveling. And the guy looks at the wife, and he sees a farm. It has all these animals, you know, goats and pigs and cows. And he looks at his wife. He says, um, so, uh, your family? And she says, yeah. And he says, your relatives? Yeah, my in-laws, right? Remind you of somebody? Yeah, my in-laws. And uh, belittling doesn't work. It just – you won't ever win those conversations. It's 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 – it's just it's pushing people lower and lower and lower. And that's all it does. But you have to get down. Whenever you push somebody lower, you yourself have to get lower yourself. 
So take the higher ground. Don't get into that. And the fourth barrier is this. It's false belief. And really, this is probably the most dangerous because false belief actually tells you you begin to believe something that's not true, right? Um, this, I, would even, I would even say this would even fall when it comes to the Bible into the demonic because um, it says that the enemy, Satan, is the father of all lies. So when you have a false belief, that would be a lie. And when you're believing something that's not true, it negatively impacts, impacts your relationship. When Cesaria and I are in a conversation, you know, the worst thing that she can that, that, that affects me the most is when she says, "Why wow, you think so little of me because of what you said, right? Which is very true because I said something that wasn't really completely true. And she's acknowledging like, wow, you really think highly of me, right, in that moment. And that cuts to the heart because it re- I realize like, no, that's not true. What I said isn't completely honest. Like that's just more of out of a frustration, out of an emotion, out of whatever it comes from, right? But really the, 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 the root of it is the false belief. And if you live by false belief, your relationship will always be affected by false belief, right? So at work, if you go to work and you're believing something about a coworker that's not true, but the more you tell yourself it's true, eventually you begin to believe the lie. And it affects your relationship. So in relationships, when you have false belief, you actually uh, create a negative um, communication in, in your relationship because you begin to believe things. Uh, words like always and never, those are usually tied to false belief, right? Like you never do this. Well, that's not usually true. I'm sure they do it sometimes, right? Um, you always do that. Probably not all the time, just sometimes. Or it happened once or twice, right? So we, those are attached to false belief. And here's the thing is, when it comes to the mouth, we know that, um, Jesus says the mouth is, is attached to, the, to, to sin and is attached to the greatest sin that we can actually com, uh, commit. Um, and I'll show you in a second that. Here's a couple of quotes that I found. Uh, Yasmin Elsmore, she said, The biggest communication issue is that we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. That's belittling. That is a false belief. That is we're, we're trying to just listen to what we can jab back with, right, or we can respond. And we don't listen to understand, we're just listening to reply. I thought it was a great quote. Uh, George Bernard, Bernard Shaw said, The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. This would be the place where we assume, make some assumptions because what we said, they, they received it. And it's an illusion because the person really didn't receive it. We just think they did, right? And some big conversations can always take bad turns because of that, because of assumptions. Um, so uh, let's talk about Jesus. What did Jesus say about words, right? Um, right before he makes this statement, he talks about how the one sin that you cannot be forgiven in the Bible is blaspheme of the Holy, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which means that you use your words to speak against the Holy Spirit, right? That is the one unpardonable sin the Bible talks about. Every other sin, God will forgive, but that's the one he says, I won't forgive. And notice it's attached to what we speak. The mouth is so important. And after he makes a statement about um, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, he actually says this in Matthew 12. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. So you're talking about the words that we speak. Like, pay attention, because you're, you're, these words that you speak are like seeds that will eventually produce something. Something will be produced from the words that you speak. He says there will be a time of reckoning, capital R, which means that's judgment day, that we'll give an account for every idle word that we spoke. Like, like there's a record of everything you've spoken, right? The good news is that when we mess up, and we, we acknowledge that and say, God, these forgive me for my past, forgive me the things. God, God does that. He cleans the slate. But he says we'll give an account for all these words because words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation or words can be your damnation. They're like a seed that's planted that will produce something. The question is what are they going to produce? What, are you, what is going to happen? Because the truth is this. We create our world with the words that we use. In the beginning, God says there was, the, the earth was formless and God spoke. And he created something, 
right? In our world, we have that same ability that what we speak actually causes people uh, something to happen with the words that we say. So if, if we're going to choose to be in common in this area, we have to learn to use words that's going to create the world that we want to live in around us, because you are. Um, I guess the question, could, the question would be like this. If every word you spoke came true, what kind of world would you live in? Every word you spoke this week came true. What would your world look like when you call somebody ignorant or stupid or dumb, right? And that was truth and it came out. Well, now you have all these ignorant, stupid people around you because you just called that into existence, right? You're never good at this. You're never whatever. You create with your words the world that you live in. So um, we need to learn how to use words in a, in a healthy way. So today uh, we talk about the barriers, right? We talk about how the, one of the most important things is creating an environment. So here's some ways the Bible tells us how we can use our words to actually build up and to actually um, create a world that we would want to live in. Like we would use our words to be able to create a world that we want to live in. The relationships that we have would be healthy because of the words that we use. So I'm going to give you seven of them. All right. The first one is this is praise. Praise is so important. Right. Um, it's it's um, and, and a lot of times when these seven things I'm going to give you is instead of trying to um, stop doing all the bad things, why don't you just start just doing the right things? Here's some right things that you can do. And if you'll just begin to do the right things and practice them, little by little, the bad things will actually just kind of begin to go away and be dealt with themselves because you begin to replace them with something that's better. Um, so praise. Um, be intentional. And really the key is being intentional with the words that we speak, right? So seven types of communication. Praise. Proverbs 25.11 says this. A word that is aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So notice the environment is the right environment. And the word is the right thing. So, so it's something very tasty, something that produces, something that gives life. So a word that's spoken at the right time in the right, in, in the right environment, the right, right moment, actually is something very beautiful, like apples of gold and, and, and settings of silver. So that's the environment that we're talking about, right? Creating this healthy environment with others and producing something. So it's, it's giving praise, you know? So for me, when I come up on the stage and I'm saying, our team did so awesome, I'm acknowledging something that's true, Right? That they did a great job last week setting up. They did a great job today setting up the equipment. I'm so thankful for our, um, um, the team that is, is, is working hard with the kids. Like saying, you guys are doing an awesome job to others and to them. It's giving praise, recognition of something that took place and, and that, that's happening. So we use our words to speak praise. The second thing is we use our words to, to uh, thanksgiving, words of thanksgiving. That we are aware um, of what's going on around us and we begin to recognize it. Uh, let me say that for the first one, Praise. Uh, just because you think it doesn't mean you said it, right? There's a lot of times where I think things about my kids or think things about my wife, but if I don't say it, it doesn't have an impact. It has to be spoken for it to be able to have an impact. Like there's times she'll make some amazing food. I'm like eating the food, and I'm thinking to myself, this is so good, right? Well, if I don't say this is so good, that thought just goes away, and she doesn't know that I think it's so good. But if I'll say, man, this food is really good, I'm, I'm beginning to give praise and recognition of what's taking place. So the second one is Thanksgiving. Right. Gratitude is so, so key in the Bible that if you will learn to have an, a, a, um, an awareness and an attitude of gratitude where, where you're recognizing you're saying thank you. Right. Um, thank you is, is so important in, in our day and age, because a lot of people don't realize that what they're doing is having an impact. Uh, like, for example, today, if you go out to eat, you're going to go to a restaurant and, you, and somebody's going to be serving you a waiter, a waitress. Right. Um, sometimes they might not ever get a thank you. They might never get a hey, good job. Well done. Thank you for taking care of us, right? Recognizing that somebody did a good job serving you. You're, you're aware of that. Thanking God for things, right? When you're driving down the road and you're seeing all these other cars that you wish you had, instead of being like, man, I wish I had that, wish I had that, you're like, thank you for the car you've given me. You know, thank you for the shoes. Thank you for the clothes you've given me. 
It becomes a way that you use your words to actually say, I am grateful for what my life has. Ephesians 4, uh, 5, 4 says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. And this is, he's talking about the mouth, things that we're saying, the way we're living, but rather thanksgiving. So notice Paul is saying, instead of having words that are coming out that are tearing down, that are hurting others, let it be words of thanksgiving. Or instead of being like, I hate those people, like, man, I am so glad that we have this, right? Instead of saying something negative, you say something that you're thankful for, that you, you appreciate. Uh, changes things, changes things. So we have praise, we have thanksgiving. Uh, we have the third one is affection. So affection is uh, where we begin to, to share um, our love with others. Um, and this is, so when I speak about these words, um, I'm a product, a byproduct of the words that were spoken to me. And more accurately, I'm a byproduct of the words that have been spoken to me that I received. Because there's been words that have been spoken to me that I actually chose to say, you know what, that voice in my life, I don't want that to matter. Like, I don't want to listen to that voice because that might be what they think about me, but that's not what is true, what those I care about think about me or what God thinks about me. And that's key because in this room, I'm sure there's been words that were spoken to you that were very uh, hurtful, and you've been holding on to those, and you've, you've held them as true in your life, right? And um, because you haven't dealt with it, it's affected the way you live. So we are, we are the sum total of the words that we've been spoken to and the words that we've received, right? The good news is you don't have to receive every word that's spoken to you. Somebody speaks it to you, and, you know, when it's an authority figure in your life that maybe there's some relationship or there's value, that's a little harder to deal with, right? When it's somebody you don't know, that's, that's like, I don't know you, it doesn't matter. So those words, at some point you have to figure out, like, whose voice am I going to listen to, that person or God's? Uh, the enemies or, or the one that loves me so much. And so when it comes to affection, affection is just telling people um, that you care for them. It's sharing um, a, a moment of saying, really, I, I care for that. When there's a relationship that you have, you know, sometimes just saying, I love you, I care for you, that means a lot, right? Um, for, for me as a, as a, as a community, um, as I prepare on Sundays, um, like I, put, I try to put work in, into what I'm talking about that can help you get better um, because I love you guys, because I care for you guys. Because I want you to have the best life you could possibly have, right? It's a, it's, it's a, um, the, the actions go along with the words. So my kids, I want to tell them and, and show them and demonstrate, like, the affection I have for them through hugs, right? Through, through words of saying, I, I believe in you. Jeremiah 31.3, God says this to his people. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. God is saying, use your words to show that you love, that you, you care for. So it's an affection, Right. The fourth one is encouragement. So we have praise, we have thanksgiving, we have affection, we have encouragement. Encouragement is just saying, all right, in a situation when somebody has been dis- discouraged, they're not really, you know, happy in the moment. They're going through something difficult. Why don't we use words to build them up and to help them? Uh, Ephesians four twenty nine says it like this: Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Notice, the words you're speaking are for those who are listening, not for yourself, right? If you're speaking um, to help others, you speak to, in, in saying this is going to help build them up, not tear them down. A couple weeks ago, we did a series on the mouth, and if you struggle with the words you say, go listen to that series. It'll help you. Um, and in the message, one of the messages I said, we can use our words to tear people down or to build them up from this verse. Um, and one of, the, one of the guys in our small group, he actually in that, in that um that service, he, he took it to heart and said, this week, I'm going to use my words to, to build up, not tear down. And he said he was in a meeting with some people in, the, in, a, in his company, and he said all of a sudden the words began to be uh, – there was a guy that was, that was speaking, and the team began to attack and began to say things that were negative towards this person. 
And in the moment, he said he wanted just to be common and fit in and go with the crowd, right? He usually would. Like, yeah, you're right. And he would just go with, 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 the, with the flow. But he said these words came back to him and said, use your words to build up, not tear down. And instead of tearing down, instead of joining in with the, the rest of the, the group, he said, wait, guys, I think he really has something valuable to say here. I, I think we should listen to him. He's put some work into it, some research into him. Let's listen to what he has to say. And all of a sudden, the environment went from not, not wanting to listen to saying, you know what, let's be open. And the whole conversation changed. And instead of having a meeting that went nowhere and that wasted their time, it actually was productive. Why? Because he used his words to build up, not tear down. In, 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 our, in our conversations with people, we can use our words to build up or tear down. Use your words to encourage, to let people know they're doing a good job. I thought it was great when he said that. I used my words to build up, and it changed the whole environment. What was he doing? He was creating psychological safety in that team, right? Yes, we're not always going to say something perfect, but what if we just gave some grace and said, hey, let's learn from each other. Let's, let's, let's use our words to build up, not to tear down. So the fifth one is kindness. It's not just encouraging people, but also kindness. Uh, using your words to, um, to, to speak words of kindness into others. That your, your words would be, like what Paul says, seasoned with grace. Right? You, would, you, would, you would be aware of, of how you're speaking words to others. You're just, you're just a kind person. You're, you're recognizing things. You're, you're saying kind, kind words. In fact, Proverbs 15.1 says it like this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a kind word at the right time is going to change the situation. A gentle answer is going to calm down the, 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 the heat right, in, in the conversation. But a harsh word is going to stir it up and cause more. So being kind with our words. On team, um, I would encourage you, if you haven't gone through growth track, go through growth track. Today, 201 is going to happen right after the second service. Uh, we encourage our team to use our lives to be able to speak into others. You know, like our, our team that's working with our kids, they're speaking words of encouragement, of praise, of kindness to the kids. Because in our culture, you never know how much of a lack people have when it comes to kind words that are spoken to them, right? They hear a lot of negative stuff, but what about the kind words that are going to help build them up? Uh, the sixth one is truth and love. We can use our words to speak truth in love. Uh, truth in love means that you have the truth, but you also have grace with it. Like you're, I would say like this. If you're speaking truth in love, what you're saying is going to help the other person. And if it's, if it's not with love, if you're speaking truth out love, you're speaking it to make yourself better or to make yourself bigger, right? So truth in love is saying I'm going to speak something that might be really hard to speak, but because I want it's for their benefit, not for mine, I'm going to do it in a way that's going to help build them up, not tear them down. Now, if I'm speaking truth out of my benefit, I'm going to make that person belittled. I'm going to make that person look smaller so I look better. And truth and love, what the Bible talks about, that we need to learn to speak what is true with the love of saying, I want something better for you. So we use our words, not just for good things, but sometimes we have to have those conversations that need to happen take place, right, that, that are hard. This is where, where um, Jesus is he's full of grace, but he's full of truth. It's both. And he's speaking that truth with love to help the other person get better. Ephesians 4.15 says, we will speak the truth in love, grown in every way more and more like Christ. So Paul says, Christ is our model. Jesus is our model. Let's look at the way he did it, and let's do that for others. And the last one is prayer. So the seventh way you can use your words uh, to effectively build up and, and, and help others is by prayer. That would be praying for them and sometimes praying with them. Like somebody's facing something. Uh, one of the things that we teach our group leaders is when, when, when somebody has an issue that you're talking with, your job is not to fix the issue. It's just to point them to the person who can. And you know who can fix their issue? God. Jesus can fix the issues they have and a lot of times fix them in the middle of their issue, which is more important. And so our job is just to point them to God. So when somebody comes and says, I have these issues, can I pray for you? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help you with this. In our small group, 
Um, and of our group, we have time for prayer. And um, one of the one of the, the people in our group that was needing prayer, um, my wife's been praying with this person, this this lady, and it's amazing to see how God is beginning to answer these prayers that she has. And what's really cool is we don't get the credit. It's like, man, God is a good God. He's doing some amazing things in her life. Why? Because we're praying, saying, God, we're going to lift, you, lift these people up to you. Um, Psalm 1689 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also, will, will also will rest secure. So we're saying, God, we, we look to you. you. Our eyes are on you. And so when we use our words to pray for others, to pray for people. We actually invite God into the, into the equation saying, God, we can't do it without you. So here's my challenge for today as we wrap up today's talk, right? Today's message is commit to use your words to bring life to others. Would you commit to use the, your words this week to build up, not to tear down? Would you use your words to speak encouragement and kindness and praise? Would you use your words this week to create a world that you would like to live in? Essentially, would you create the world you want to live in through the words you speak? Could you do that this week when you were speaking to others? Like before you say something really negative, think like, okay, if this came true and was true and I'm speaking it in a way that's going to tear down, man, I'm going to live in that world. So what if I spoke something different that would create the world I actually wanted to live in? And here's the thing, beyond words. It's not just words. You know, it's, it's body language. It's, it's our texting. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, our, it's our energy in the conversation, right? It's, it's the passion. So there's a lot that goes with it, not just the words, but the way we respond to others, how we care for others. So would you commit to use your life, your words, to bring life to others this week? On Monday and on Tuesday, when you get in that conversation with your spouse or with your kids or with your coworker or with your teacher, would you guard you know, one, one, one psalm says, God, would you put your mouth, would your hand over my mouth so I don't speak anything foolish? Maybe that's a prayer you need to have some, in some cases. God, guard my mouth from saying things that would actually cause something negative. All right. So as we wrap up today, I pray that you would be uncommon in your communication with others. Learn to, to use them to build others up. As we end our service, uh, the one thing that I would love to do before we end our service is if you're here today, you know, I've talked a lot about the Bible, talk about communication. Um, gave you some tools to be able to use. But the most important things I can help you to do is have a relationship with God. As a church, what we believe is that Jesus came, he lived, lived on this earth um, and, and gave an example and a model for us to live. And he called his disciples, some, some, some young guys and young women, to follow him. And he, and he showed them how, how to live a life that would make an impact. And so to be a, a Christian means that you follow Jesus. You're a Jesus follower. And today, some of you in this room that come, maybe... You, you haven't got to that place where you've trusted God with your life. That you've said, God, I want to follow your lead. Jesus, I want to live out, the, live out your principles and your way of life. And today, if you're here and you'd like to start that journey, I'd love to lead you in a prayer that would begin that journey. So the Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, confess our past, our wrongs, that God responds and forgives. And then he gives us a new start. Essentially, the Bible calls it repentance. Repentance means that you're going one direction and you, you realize it's not working. And God says, you're walking away from me. Would you stop the direction you're going? Would you turn to me and walk the other way? So you, you essentially say, I'm, I'm no longer going to do these things. God, I'm going to say yes to the things you want me to do. And the Bible says when you do that, when you, when you begin to say, God, I don't want do, to live this way no more. I want to live your way. You begin to follow him. He begins to lead you on this journey. So do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service? And if you're here today and you need to pray that prayer, you need to start a relationship with God. I'm, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you to the front, but right there in your seat. Um, so if that's you, would you let me know you're here by just lifting your hand, saying today that's me. 
I want to ask God, is it awesome? Anybody else? God, in my life, God, would you forgive me? God, would you help me? Awesome. I see the hands. Anybody else? All right. For you that raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're a Jesus follower in this room, would you pray with us so that those that raise their hand are not praying alone? Just say this prayer with me. Say, Father God, today I admit that I need your help. Would you forgive me of my past? Give me a new start. Would you help me to live a life that would please you and add value to other people? I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross for my sins. I put my trust in you today. Come and live in me. Come and help me. Lead me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate all those that prayed that prayer today. So good.